You're listening to the Footprints of Leadership podcast. I'm your host, Samantha Lawrence. Today on Footprints, we welcome Emily Thomas, Head Giraffe at Giraffe Consulting. Emily has a super interesting life journey that led her to a thriving media and communications career. After being scouted in a shopping centre as a teenager, Emily moved to Italy at just 15 years old to pursue a career in modelling. She enjoyed a successful career on the catwalk, working for high-end fashion brands across Europe until she decided it was time to hang up the stilettos in her early 20s. Emily jumped into a career in journalism and publishing where she went from strength to strength, working for various companies within publishing, oil and gas and the water sector. In 2019, Emily plunged into business and launched Giraffe Consulting, a media and communications company specializing in tailored strategic communications. It is here in her role as CEO that she has further developed her leadership skills and just happens to be my very own leader at Giraffe. When she isn't kicking business goals and being a total girl boss, Emily enjoys oil painting and hanging with her Cavoodle Louie. Hi, Emily. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, Sam. Thank you so much for that awesome intro. Ah, so good. So good. Such a pleasure. I'm so excited to chat with you today. Let's start off by getting you to briefly describe your career. So that journey from modeling into media and comms, which ultimately brought you to your leadership position today. Sure. So I guess it all started, as you mentioned, um, when I was 13 years old. So I was walking through Southland Shopping Centre and all of a sudden I was scouted by a modelling agency. And this is something I I don't know anything about. I didn't know anything about modelling at the time. So as a 13-year-old, that was the coolest thing ever. So that really started me off on the modelling journey. So I took it quite seriously. And when I was 15, I was lucky enough to go to Milan and do Milan Fashion Week. So I took some time off school. Uh, And then throughout, yeah, so throughout my senior years of school, I um, did quite a bit of modeling back in Australia. I think that was a really great time for me to really learn how to be super organized because I was taking off that, you know, that time off school. But I was still very studious. So as soon as I finished year 12, um, I jumped on a plane and flew across to Miami. I signed with an agency over there and did some work over there and then came back and went back to university because I knew that, you know, studies was super important to me and I wanted to make sure that uh, that was still part of my journey. So So throughout uni, I... Um, went back and did more modeling again, taking it quite seriously. I went back to Milan. I went uh, to Paris and London. I really enjoyed my time in London. The industry over there is so big and creative and you can be any shape or size, any skin tone, any hair color, and you'll get work. And I I found it as a creative person, an amazing place to be. And while I was there, I found out that I had won a scholarship to study in Berlin. So I jumped from London over to Berlin and also did a bit of modeling there. And to finish off my degree, uh, that was probably the hardest thing I've ever done. It was that six month stint in Germany with my course in German. So it's very different to go from uh, learning German in high school to then um, learning it in university and then actually being in a university in Germany. Oh, wow. That is so crazy. I can't even imagine trying to study at university in a different language that blows my mind did you have much German before you did that 
So it was my major at university, but at the same time, you just, you're never prepared for jumping into a totally new culture. You know, it was so great that I had that modeling experience where I was thrown into, you know, Italy where I didn't speak the language and needed to really learn to swim. So that was really helpful. But yeah, studying in another language, it still to this day, I think is the hardest thing I've ever done. Yes, yes. And so this whole time that you were modelling, you know, you, you mentioned that you always felt academic and you still wanted to pursue your studies. Were you also thinking, you know, wow, this is amazing. I'm I'm going to be a model. Like, did you think that you would do that long term as well as studying? Mm. So I took it really, really seriously, both the study and the modelling. So it was definitely something that, you know, from 13 till as you say, I hung up my high heels at about 23. That was 10 years of my life and and really formative years that I spent Mm. striving for this wild dream, really. Yeah, it was something that I I really hoped I could continue on. And I actually, when I did come to the decision that I needed to focus more on, you know, a normal job, it was really hard for me because I had spent so much time building my identity around you know, the, the student Emily, and then there was the model Emily. So I got to a point at 22 where I'm almost retiring from this career that I've had and then having to, yeah, redefine, you know, who, who am I and what do I want to stand for and who do I want to be in my adult life? Yes, yes, absolutely. That's so incredible. And then how did you decide, I suppose, what your career path would look like from that point? You know, mm. you ultimately ended up in media and comms. So how did that come about? Yeah. So when I was in Germany, I started to think, okay, what could my next step be? And I knew that I absolutely loved writing and I was super passionate about that, but I couldn't see how that could translate into a full-time job. But anyway, I thought, well, how about I start a blog and I'll just see where this takes me. So I started one that was all about modeling. I really wanted to challenge the stereotypes around modeling. I wanted to show that you could be really happy and healthy and uh, smart and studious and still be a model. So Mm. bear in mind, I was modeling in a time when smartphones didn't exist, which seems super (laughs) far now. Um, So the whole like fitness inspiration um, of Instagram was definitely not a thing. It was very much in to be very, very thin. And I disagreed with that. So my blog was all about trying to bust that stereotype. And I was really lucky that resonated with lots of people. And I started to build a following. And from there, I was able to start being paid to write blogs on other people's websites, and then build up a bit of a portfolio to then use that to get my very first job as a journalist uh, for a publishing house that actually publishes magazines for utilities. So oil and gas and water. So very engineering focus, which is totally different to the fashion world. So you're really quite ahead of your time with this blog and, you know, having these conversations about body image in modeling before mainstream media and society were having those conversations in fitness. So I am really interested to know what it was like as a model. Did they, you know, make you starve yourself? And and yeah, what sort of um, things did you face in that position? Yeah. Um, oh, it's such a, such a wild environment. So you have your agent that has certain requirements of you and that requirement is around, um, so for girls, it's 90 centimetres, 60 centimetres and 90 centimetres. So that's your bust, waist and hips. And really, right. if you don't fit into those centimetres, 
you really can't get work internationally because that's just the size of their fit models. So even though, <sighs> even if your agency is really lovely, they, you know, they need to make money at the end of the day. So they're going to encourage you to be within those uh, measurements to actually get the work. So there's that side of things. So the, the other part to it is when you go to castings and you see the whole other long line of girls standing there vying for the same job you and you see how thin they are, um, not only do you have your agency um, putting this pressure on you, you've also got your own internal pressure just from looking at what the other girls look like. And I think that's even worse, um, mm. having that, that yeah internal thought that perhaps you're not good enough and um definitely the higher up you get, the skinnier the girls are that get invited to the casting in the first place. So yeah, it, it definitely wasn't a healthy environment. And the higher up I went, I found that it was, it got more and more unhappy and the girls were more and more unhappy um, just mm. because of that pressure. And, you know, I get hangry if I don't eat. <laughs> so uh, Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> there was definitely pressure to be thin. And, um, you know, back then I don't, don't definitely didn't think that you could eat normally and be 100% normal and also be a model. But I guess you could look at athletes. They don't have a normal uh, way of life either and they have a very strict diet. So I liken it often to athletics. But, uh, yeah, it was definitely a pressurising environment to grow up in. But at the same time, I think, and this is strange, but now the way I look at or what food I eat doesn't even enter my brain. It's just not a thought that I have. Wow. Modeling, you know, every second was, oh, how big are my thighs today? Or um, I shouldn't eat this because of, you know, what the agency will say or I won't get, get this job. Um, and I think if I hadn't have gone through that process and worked out a way of coping with it that was really positive, I don't think mm. I would have got such a, a liberating space that I'm in now where I, I just don't even think about it. I know a lot of women really struggle their whole lives um, with body image. So yeah, maybe it was another sink or swim sort of situation that I, I just I worked out a way to cope with it and, and was really faced with something hard and um, came through the other side and, and now feel like I've conquered it in a way. Mm, that's incredible. I'm interested to know when you say um, that you're going higher and higher up, is that in terms of brands? Like as you get higher, is it more of a high-end brand? Is that how that works? Yeah, definitely. So there are two different types of modelling. There's commercial modelling, which is, um, you know, they're very happy, like target catalogues, and they, you're allowed to smile and um, wear, you know, more colourful clothing. And then you have the editorial side of modelling, which is where you have to be very, very thin. And it's um, that's definitely a high fashion haute couture. Uh, so, yeah, when I say moving up, it's, um, yeah, moving up those ranks of that high fashion editorial side of modelling. Wow. What's some, what are some of the brands that you worked for? Uh, so if I go for the, the big name brands, I've uh, worked for uh, Fendi. That was a pretty huge one that I got to work for, which was amazing. Um, yeah. I worked for Louis Vuitton on a rooftop in Milan. Uh, that, wow. was, that was a really incredible experience. That was the first time I had to sign a waiver to say that I wouldn't say what the, the clothing looked like. Mm. <laughs> um, bearing in mind cameras, you know, phone cameras back then were, were not iPhones, so you couldn't even really take a photo of the, the clothes. So they're some of the ones that I uh, was lucky enough to book overseas. And then in Australia, 
common brands like Meyer and David Jones did their runways uh, almost every year throughout my career. So that, they were really fun. I really love being on the runway. I, as a shy person, it seems strange, but I absolutely love being out on stage. There's something about it. It's like you can be this, this other person that's really confident and oh, it's thrilling. Fantastic. So after you were writing for this utility magazine, how did you then make your way into media and communications? So it wasn't a, an immediate jump. I had one more role in between moving from being a journalist and, a, and an editor to being in media and comms. So I got my dream job actually uh, working for Cambridge University Press. And it was amazing to work for such a global organization and to learn so much about the literary side of the world, which I was really passionate about. So I was in the academic department editing their law and business textbooks. So, from, yeah, so from there, that's how I first jumped into media and comms. So I had no idea that media and comms was a job. I had no idea that when they put in the metro tunnel or when they dig up your street and put in a pipeline that communications and writing is definitely necessary in those situations. So that was amazing to learn that my skills could be used in a whole new context that I hadn't thought of. So I started out as a consultant, a media and comms consultant, and got to work in a number of oil and gas companies, which was an amazing experience too. And from there, I also uh, did some work for a water company. And then eventually, uh, I absolutely loved the culture there. So I uh, jumped across and um, started working as a, a media and comms person in an amazing media and comms team. I had such an inspiring direct boss and such an amazing manager, which you can hear about in episode one of this podcast. Ah, um, yes, Anusha. Yes. And then from the media and comms team, I was able to move into a strategy role. I think another thing that I've noticed when thinking back on my career is I've always moved roles, obviously into roles that I think I will enjoy and that I, I will have a good skill set in, but also roles that I feel the leadership is really inspiring. So uh, another person that really inspired me was, was the manager of this strategy team. So it was a no-brainer to want to take up the offer to move into the strategy side of the business. And, and that also helped in that I have always been interested in, in business management and how businesses run. Um, and having worked in both the public and private sector, they're so different. So it was great to get that experience. Uh, and that's when I finally made the leap after that role to jump out and giraffe and today is actually giraffe's one year anniversary so that's really exciting. yes congratulations congratulations what an absolutely incredible milestone that is so exciting for you yeah it's been awesome so Emily I love how you have such an interesting career pathway you've had a really diverse range of roles what have you learned from the different positions that you've held in these different industries that you've been able to bring to media and communications or to being a business owner Yeah so I think modeling has had such a huge impact so I was a really shy kid and modeling really was able uh, to bring me out of my shell and and make me be able to speak to adults, so the big scary adults of the world. And I think communications is really about developing relationships with people uh, and um, just sitting down and chatting with them. So if I was still so shy, I don't think I would have been able to reach as many people or, or chat to as many people as I can now because I've had that experience 
So definitely that side of things. I think just the diversity of working with such a wide range of interesting people allows me to bring a diverse perspective to media and comms, you know, communicating, you've got multiple audiences that you need to target. So you need to be able to understand wide ranges of audiences. Uh, And I think another thing that's directly linked to my personal journey with modeling is when I did start writing my blog, I really had to learn how to do it all myself. So I had to learn how to build my own website and work out how to put communications out into the world and learnt about social media, which was really just starting when I was writing that blog. So that ability to build websites and put out content and know what looks good and know what gets that feedback online, I think definitely gave me a bit of an edge with communications at the start. Amazing. And what did you learn from one of the workplaces in particular for business? Sure. So the very first company that I worked for, uh, they took a gamble on hiring me. So they knew I was a model and uh, I'm not sure that that gives the most um, positive stereotype. Uh, They probably thought I wasn't very intelligent. Um, (laughs) So they got me stamping the returns of the magazines at the very start, but then they did eventually trust me to uh, start writing my own articles and they could see that I could write. But the key thing that I learned at that workplace, and I think more than any other workplace, is it was a startup essentially. And at the time, the word startup wasn't really a thing. But I used to be able to go into work every day, sitting next to the boss and listen to how he operated, whether it was on the phone, taking sales phone calls, how he was looking at diversifying his revenue streams, uh, what sort of platforms he used, what sort of accounting software did he use, how did he go about hiring people, just the whole process I was able to be so closely a part of because it was such a small business. And, you know, now his company is really, really big and really successful. So I think, yeah, if anyone is keen to start their own business, getting some time with a startup is is really valuable. So many of the things that I learned there I'm still using today. Yeah, that that was a really, uh, really valuable experience. Yes, absolutely. Oh, so wonderful. So Emily, what does leadership mean to you? So leadership for me, first and foremost, it has nothing to do with the word leadership or leader or manager being in your job title. You can be a leader in every facet of your life. But in the the context of an office, um, some of the best leaders that I've had, that I have had are ones that really quickly identify the skills and talents of their staff. And not only are they able to identify that, they're able to bring out those talents and really allow that person to reach their full potential and then know how to connect that with the other team members in your group and then achieve that business outcome that you're looking for. And I find that not only do leaders like that achieve the outcome, they also open themselves up to so many more opportunities that you would never have thought possible at the start. Uh, So I think that's really key. Yes. Wow. And so this was an interesting one. This is a question that we ask on Footprints a lot of our guests. So I am excited to ask you today whether you have any sort of daily routines or rituals that you like to incorporate in your week to stay motivated and and organized. Yes. So I have a couple. Uh, The first one is really simple, but I like to think that the uh, most important things in life are quite simple and that is sleep. So I'm someone, yes. who is, I'm someone who's really, I thrive off being busy. And if my calendar isn't full, I will be sure to find a way to fill it. So with that, 
um, comes the need to get a lot of sleep. So I'm definitely not someone who wakes up super duper early and has an amazing morning routine. I'm also not someone who finds their creative spark at three o'clock in the morning. I'm definitely a day person. So a good nine hours makes me happy. Nine hours. I love that. That's yeah. amazing. <laughs> if I can have my body naturally wake me up before my seven o'clock alarm, uh, that's that's a win for me. Wow. <laughs> so the second thing is journaling. So as a very busy person, I always have a very busy mind and I find that's also part of my creative process is to have things ticking away in the back of my mind. So I really enjoy the journaling process because it detaches myself from my thoughts and allows me to view them objectively uh, and to also make new connections from quite disparate um, ideas, I guess. Mm. Um, so another thing that I like to do is, uh, and it's actually associated with what I learned from doing a lot of yoga, and it's every day that you come to the mat, so every day of your life, really honouring how you're feeling in that moment, uh, both physically and mentally, and knowing that whatever came before, so whatever your practice was the day before, if you found something hard or difficult, that's forgotten. Whatever comes after today, that's not relevant either. It's all about being in the present moment uh, and really tailoring your day to suit how you're feeling um, physically and mentally instead of you know, trying to force yourself to do extra. So, yeah, I think that's more of a mindset that I try to take into every day of my life. Mm. I've also been known to, if I am uh, working on something creative, uh, I like to get huge pieces of paper. I don't like to be confined by an A4 size and uh, get out colourful texts and write all my ideas down. Um, I've been known to also write on windows when I'm getting super inspired. I've done that in workplaces and uh, I find that a lot of fun and uh, help me be creative. Um, another thing, and this is, I think, absolutely critical to me being able to run giraffe is having amazing mentors. So I have lots of different mentors, for different things. So I have mentors who are excellent at finance or mentors who are excellent at media and communications so that, you know, if we have similar business problems, we can chat through them and really thrash them out. I also have people that I know if I'm having a, a tough day, I can call them and they will just be inspiring and we can be talking about anything, really. So I really encourage anyone who is starting something new or is keen to start something new to go ahead and find a mentor or someone who's, who's gone or tread the path before you to learn from and, and build your knowledge around. It's, yeah, really, really critical. Yes, 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 yes. So you've had such a diverse career at a really young age as well. What has been your greatest professional achievement and why? Yes, so definitely building giraffe, but I think my biggest professional achievement was the moment I chose to do so. So the moment mm. I pulled my boss aside from my very stable nine to five job and said, look, I'm quitting and I'm going to go to nothing and I'm going to back myself to build this business because it's an inner voice telling me that this is what I've got to do and I'm, I'm going to support myself to do it. So I'm really proud of that moment and proud that I had the courage to do that when I did. Yes, absolutely. You know, I think that's something that you hear about a lot where people always wanted to do it, but maybe it wasn't until they were forced because of a redundancy or a change that, that made them take the plunge. Whereas you had the courage to just just go with it anyway. I think that's so inspiring. And I know that you are 
currently writing a memoir from your experience in modelling and that that is something that you've been, you know, working on in um, parallel with starting a business. Is that something that helped you kind of make that leap? Yeah, so I knew that I wanted to spend my life doing things that really fulfilled me. And I think everyone, whether it's a job or a relationship or anything, I don't think you should ever spend another second in a field or a career where you don't feel fulfilled. So taking the leap was was all about that. But also I, I knew deep down definitely that I wanted to share my story about modelling um, so I thought, how do I best set my life up so that I had that flexibility of work and flexibility of time to be able to dedicate time to writing this memoir? So it's incredibly hard to write a book, uh, let alone run a business. But it's something that really yeah, puts fire in my belly. And it's, it's a wonderful creative outlet on the side of running Giraffe. Absolutely. Well, I absolutely cannot wait to read this book. I think it's going to be so incredible. I can't wait. So we'll be watching that space. Awesome. As a communications professional and CEO of a communications company, so no pressure, (laughs) what do you think, Emily, are the keys to good communications? All right. So there are two. The first one is clarity. So often you have quite a complex message that you need to get across So the art is in and the skill is in making that complex message into something simple and digestible and accessible for everyone. Yeah, that's quite difficult sometimes. And then the second thing is visuals. So people will tell me or they have throughout my whole life that there's X percentage of the population is a visual learner and the other X percentage is, you know, more of an analytical learner. Pick up any maths textbook and you will find a graph and you will find a pie chart (laughs) and they are simply visual representations of data. Yes, so true. Yes, and as babies, the first form of communication that we learn is body language and that is 100% visual. So I totally disagree. I think everyone is a visual uh, or connects with visuals. So when telling a message, if you can explain that message even without words and just use a visual, I think that's that's really um, impactful. Wow, that's such a good way to put it. I agree completely and I'd never thought about it that way before. What has been the most difficult decision you've had to make as a leader? So this would come from my giraffe experience. So taking giraffe to the next level, I'd run a business before, but I was a sole trader. So I ran ran a kid's party business and it's very different working for yourself to then um, building a business with staff. So the moment that I decided that um, giraffe was ready to bring on contractors in a full-time capacity, that was a really big decision. And it really involved a lot of learning on my behalf and making sure that I was really clued up on all the financial details and health of the company, making sure that I had the right accountant, uh, the right financial advice, yeah, to make sure that the company was financially viable. And, you know, once you do have the responsibility of more than just yourself, you've, you've got to make sure that, you know, a business is a business. And at the end of the day, if your numbers don't stack up, the business doesn't stack up. So that was a a really great um, next step uh, in Giraffe's journey. Yes, yes. Is there any more that you can share about your experience starting a business from scratch? Yeah, um, 
So I think you touched on it before, but a lot of people have come to me more recently going, oh, it's amazing that you've started a business. I've always wanted to start something. I've you know, got this passion or this idea that, uh, that I want to follow through with, but perhaps I don't feel old enough or I don't feel that I'm really um, across the detail of a particular area or I need to read more and learn more. And I just come back to this great quote that someone told me when I was at that turning point when I decided to jump the actual quote is jump and your parachute will open. And that's exactly what I think has happened for me. And at the time I thought, oh my God, but what if my parachute doesn't open? Um, <laughs> you've really got to get to that point where you, you're comfortable enough to jump, um, but know that you're never going to feel 100% comfortable to quit your job and, and start something new or um, yeah, go down the path that you've never traveled before. Wow, that is fantastic. I love that quote. That's wonderful. So I'd love to ask Emily, how important is creativity and authenticity in your work and your life? They are the backbones of both my work and my life. So authenticity is, so every decision that I make, I I try to make ones that are coming from my gut or my heart um, to make sure that they are aligning with who I really am. So that's the authenticity side. And then the creative side, I've, I've always been quite a creative person. As you mentioned, I really love painting. The whole development of Giraffe is a creative process for me. And we've been able to hire some really creative people like yourself, which is amazing. Um, so <laughs> even in the work that we deliver, everything that we do, I try to make sure that we're delivering not just amazing communications, but amazing aesthetics and and graphic design that really supports um, all pieces of work that we provide to our clients. Wonderful, wonderful. If you could give advice to your younger self regarding leadership, what would that be? So when thinking about this one, I think the main thing is, uh, if I think about my primary school age self, just to tell her that it is possible to be a leader. Um, when I was young, I was really, really shy and quite nervous. So, you know, calling someone on the phone used to really freak me out. I remember one time my mum said, okay, well, um, you know, we've been talking about getting a haircut. Do you want to, here's the phone and you can, you can call up the hairdresser and you can book in that appointment. And as eight years old, I remember going, oh my God, I can't call this person. <laughs> and I spent hours writing a script just for a hair appointment. Um, <laughs> just heaven forbid you said something that put me off my script. That's what I was paranoid about. And then at that <laughs> moment, I remember thinking, oh my God, Emily, how are you ever going to function in life? This is in my eight-year-old brain. Um, oh, how no. are you ever going to function and, and do anything if you can't even call up a, a hairdresser? So to think now that I'm running a business, that eight-year-old self would never have thought that that was ever possible. So I think I'd also tell her to not underestimate the power of learning and the power of time and being patient with yourself to learn as much as you can. And I know there have been studies done on this that humans are pretty good at working out what they can achieve within one year's time. But we're pretty rubbish actually at working out what we can achieve in that two-year, three-year, five-year horizon. We actually mm. underestimate what we can achieve. So, um, yeah, I tell her that learning is key and that you've got heaps of time. Just just be patient and, and work towards your goal and you'll get there. 
Yes. I love that so much. I can definitely relate as a child. My, the eight-year-old me was doing the same thing. She probably didn't even pick up the phone though. So you were probably already a step ahead. (laughs) (laughs) I love that so much. And when, when you say time, do you find that experience has helped with that as well over, over time, just doing it more often or doing things in general more often? Yeah. And throwing yourself in the deep end. So once you are in that deep end, you have to swim. <laughs> so I always say yes whenever there's an opportunity, even if I'm not 100% certain on if I can achieve it or not. And, yeah, sometimes I go back to those journals that I wrote back when I was a, a lot younger and go, wow, I, I have really um, progressed. And, yeah, definitely. Absolutely. So I'd love to ask what advice you would give to other people wanting to start a business. You know, it's an ultimate leadership uh, aspiration and an example. So what advice would you give to them and or even just taking on a new project or doing something new in their life? Mm. So definitely find mentors who have been there and done that. <laughs> definitely jump in, as I said, your parachute will open. Um, There's no amount of reading or um, thinking about your new idea that's going to help you do it. You have to, you have to just go in there and do it and you have to be kind to yourself and just have as much confidence in what you're doing and really follow what your gut is telling you with all of your decisions, but just go for it. Amazing. I love it. I love it so much. Thank you so much for sharing all of this today. Thank you for being a wonderful leader. I can at at least uh, personally vouch for that, that you are a fantastic leader. So anyone listening should definitely take on Emily's advice because she is fantastic. And it's been awesome sharing this chat with you today. Thank you so much. I love being here. Thank you so much, Sam. Thank you for listening to the Footprints of Leadership podcast. Make sure you subscribe and leave a review on Apple Podcasts and follow on Spotify to be notified of our next episode. You can find more on our socials at Footprints Podcast. This podcast was brought to you by Giraffe Consulting. If your business is ready for a new perspective, visit giraffeconsulting.com.au.